You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. If you got a Bible, we're in Philippians. I want to read to you a couple verses. We'll pray and then jump in together. I want to read you from Philippians chapter 1. Uh, starting in verse 27. So Philippians chapter one, let me read a couple verses. Uh, And if you don't have a copy of scriptures, don't worry, just listen and uh, we'll pray and then jump in. So Philippians 1, 27 says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the sake of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. It's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that's from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict as you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, I want to thank you for every person in this room, Lord, whether we knew every word of every song and we're so excited to sing them to you, or whether we're really unsure about all this and, and are trying to figure out if we trust you at all and if you are good. Um, wherever we are, I'm just so grateful you've given us this time. And, and I feel so much hope, God, about this moment, the potential of our lives to be very different because of this interaction with your word. And that's not because of me. I can't create the kind of change that we need, but you can. And so God, I'm asking you to use your word now to help us see you more clearly and to help us see ourselves more clearly. And I wanna invite you, if, if, if this is normal for you or really different, I just wanna invite you now for you to talk to God and ask him, say, God, please teach me right now. And then if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, through a unique set of circumstances, I've been able to spend time with Navy SEALs which is one of the great honors of my life. It's very cool to hang out with them because they always have great stories. Because when they're at home training in the States, I think they do what a lot of guys would love to do. So while you're in the office returning phone calls, they're out in the field learning how to fire a grenade launcher, all right? Uh, I remember talking to one on the phone and we realized we both had finals coming up in school. And he was like, what's yours on? I was like, oh man, mine's on Greek participles. It's really stressful. He's like, oh man, yeah, mine's on how to stalk a guy. I was like, what? He's like, what does that mean? He's like, yeah, out in the jungle. And I was like, you just got to sneak up and grab him? And he's like, yes, it's kind of a pass-fail thing, right? I remember talking to one, he had just gotten back from a hostage escape school where the final was a group of guys beat you up, handcuff you and throw you in a trunk, and then uh, you have to get yourself out. And that's how you know if you pass the class. And so for him, he was able to get the handcuffs off, unlock the trunk, and just to kind of, in an act of defiance, also got out of all his clothes, just to show me, nothing can hold me, right? And so, (laughs) fascinating group of people. 
But I remember there was one time uh, I was uh, hanging out with two of them. We were up in Seattle. We were at a wedding and one of them was a good buddy of mine. So we were driving around that weekend and the whole time he and I would catch up. And then there was the other guy that came that was nice guy, but uh, just didn't say much. Not mean, just had nothing to say to you. So the whole weekend as I'm driving, he and I would talk and he and I wouldn't. Until there was one moment where my buddy was uh, commending me to this, this book. Hey, you got to check out this book. You should read it. It's amazing. And I was like, man, I'm reading so many books right now. I'm kind of inundated with books. Why should I read this book? And as soon as I asked that question, for the first time, he spoke to me. And he said, it's about the warrior mindset. <laughs> and I said, okay. Now, let me tell you a little something about you, okay? If you've been sitting in that moment and that guy who's not said a word suddenly begins to speak to you, you're gonna listen, right? When that guy's massive, Jack, you know, could crush you in a moment, begins to talk, you're gonna listen. And when he's the guy that you remember that there was a TV show once about buds, that grueling process to become a seal, and on the week about Hell Week, which is all the punishment of buds without that added benefit of sleep, and you remember that he's the guy on that episode that at one moment ran past the camera smiling, when that guy offers you a book that'll give you a window into how that mind works, you're going to pick up the book, okay? You're going to do it. I did. I read it. And it was about the warrior mindset. It was about the Spartans. Not from Michigan, but uh, the ancient warrior culture, right? And let me say, there's a lot to not admire about the Spartans, okay? A lot of things we would not want to emulate. But... They had two things going for them. One is they were a very focused society. And for them, their focus was entirely on warfare. To the degree that when you were five years old, they began your education and they just led you out in a field and they just showed you, here's how to kill a guy, all right? There was no electives, no humanities. It was all, here's how to fight. And as they did that, they perfected a system of warfare that would devastate their enemies. Like, I don't know if you watch movies like Braveheart, where everyone just gets pumped up, grabs a sword, and just, ah, runs out there. Spartans wouldn't do that. When they showed up at the battlefield, they would all form up in ranks. And when the signal was given, the men would put their shield in the lower back of the man in front of them. And when a call was given, they would all commence running in unison. And the effect it had was they essentially became a massive human battering ram. That as they linked together and charged forward, they would decimate any army in front of them. So it didn't matter who it was. If you were a Thessalonian or Athenian and you lined up for battle and you saw the Spartans on the other side of the battle line, you might've brought a sword, you might've brought a spear, you put all that down, you just get out pen and paper and start giving the terms of your surrender. Say, so go ahead and send them all the horses, send them Bob's family. I'm sorry, Bob, they're gonna kill us, right? Because they had two things going for them. They had focus and they had unity. And wherever you have a group of people who are focused and unified, you have a very dangerous crew. Spartans were like that. The seals are like that. They're very focused people and they travel in packs. The early church was like that. The first followers of Jesus, it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were fixed on it. And then it said they had all things in common. They would share with one another to help one another. And they were doing damage in their day, so much so that one of their detractors said, these people are turning the world upside down. Cities are changing. Cultures are changing because of these believers in Jesus who had focus and had unity. And wherever you get a group of people who are focused and unified, you have a very dangerous crew, right? Do you see it? Why mention that? Because that's what the book of Philippians is about. 
Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, had unapologetically fallen in love with Jesus. He'd lived much of his life as a religious person and in that religion had become uh, dried up and hardened and judgmental. And yet into his judgmental soul, Jesus slammed into his life, knocked him down, convinced him of his brokenness. And as he convinced him of that brokenness, his grace came rushing in all the same. And he fell in love with the Jesus who would forgive even him. And it changed him. And then he looked at the Philippians and said, and you guys know what that's like. You know what it is to be a mess and have him love you. You know what it is to be broken and have Jesus heal you. He called them earlier in the book, partakers of his grace. You know what it's like to be in need and to have him running for you. You're partakers of his grace along with me. And he says, you are the fellowship of the gospel is what he called him. You are with me and your love for him. The Philippians loved Jesus. How do you know you're a Christian? You love Jesus Christ. How do you know you're saved? You cherish the Savior. You realize he's better than any attainments, any accoutrements. That's what you know, right? There was just one problem with the Philippians. They weren't real unified. They had trouble getting along, which I know is hard to imagine. You're like, Christians that don't get along? Then I don't understand. Just, just take it by faith. Long ago, there was a group of people who had issues with that, right? It's actually not hard to imagine, is it? It happens all the time. It happens among churches. Jesus people, you got a friend that goes to some other church and they tell you about something cool's going on there and you can't celebrate it. You're like, oh, you go there? Oh, that's, no, that place is great. If you like uh, in authentic worship or something, like I'm sure that's fine, right? <laughs> that we have trouble getting along with each other. Man, when I was in college, I remember there were two different Christian men's fraternities and whenever they would play against one another in intramural football, they had to get extra referees because there'd be more fouls and more cussing than in a normal game because you're in a different Christian men's fraternity, right? You got a different Bible verse on your shirt and different's bad, right? But we're like that. We're like that among churches. We're like that among organizations. We're like that individually. Let's be honest. Sometimes just people get on your nerves, like I remember for me, when I was in college, I had a buddy that would always invite me to lunch and then forget his wallet. And he would always invite me to places I couldn't afford. And so I'd be frustrated. I don't have money for this. But then I'd have to sit there for like an hour and a half with him because he chewed so slowly. And he would take him 32 chews to swallow each piece of food. And you're like, how do you know that? Because I counted and averaged. And he would do it with his mouth open, just... And everything in me was like, swallow man, it's become paste. It's ready for the next stage. <laughs> but I got to love him. And the Bible goes further than that and says, I can't look like Christ without him. Paul told the Ephesians, God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be teachers. God took his gifts and scattered them among us to the building up of the body for the works of service and the attainment of the head who is Christ. What does that mean? It means you can't look like Christ without him. And you'll never be who you're meant to be without her. Your human potential cannot be reached individually. It can't. God rigged it that way. That if you want to reach full human potential, you need the gift God's given us called us. Your potential can't be reached individually. It has to be reached in us. Spirituality is always worked out in the context of community. That's how it works. 
So here as Paul talks to these people, he's celebrating the Philippians. You know Jesus, you know what it is to love him, but we've gotta get something right here. So 12 times in the book, he's talked about the glory of Jesus and what it is to know him, that he's better. And then finally, when he turns the corner to give them an application in verse 27, he says, only. Barth says, it's like he held up one finger. I just want one thing, church. I need one thing, people. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I love that because that conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of, it's one word in Greek. It's the word polituiste, polituiste. Uh, a real wooden translation would be conduct yourself as a citizen of a place because polis, the word it's built off of, is the word city. So to polituiste is to live like a citizen of a place. It's interesting because this is the only letter Paul ever says it. He only says it to the Philippians. And he only says it to them because he knew it would mean something to them. Back then, your city was where you got your sense of identity. Nowadays, some people do that with their city. Some people do it with a sports team. Some people do it with an organization you're involved in. Some people do it with their schools. Back then, it was your city. Your city gave you your identity. One writer said, a man without a city is not a man. And so Paul uses this term, polituis, they live like a citizen of a place because he knew it would mean something to the Philippians because the Philippians were proud to be Philippian. Because in 42 BC, Octavian and Antony, their army ran out and fought against Brutus and Cassius. You know, Brutus that killed Caesar? Et tu, Brute. That really happened. And Octavian and his army marched out against Brutus's army and fought so bravely, so courageously, overcame this army that in appreciation to these brave men, he gave them a city, Philippi. And even though it was nowhere near the capital city of Rome, he gave them an identity as Roman citizens and all the benefits thereof, which were many, including never having to pay taxes. So if you were a Philippian, you were proud to be a Philippian. So as someone said, Polituus, they live like the city you belong to, that would just bring something out of them, right? That would be like if I looked at you and said, man, is anyone in here a cowboy? And if you grew up in the country and that was your deal, as soon as I say that, you just might suddenly show off your belt buckle. <laughs> Gotta nod a little bit like, yeah, we got about 30 head of cattle out back on the ranch. I don't know what's in a head, but we got them. You know, I, you, just, you just start to naturally take on the characteristics of that community you wanna be associated with, right? Or if I say, anybody in here play football? What happens? Start making your neck look big, flex a trap, like, yeah, man. That was a linebacker in junior high. You know, you're like, yeah, let them know. Or if I say anyone in here in a band, you don't flex if you're in a band, right? And you can't look too excited like, I was, I played the bass. You're like, no, you got to kind of be like, what's up, man? Yeah, I'll play a little bit. You just start naturally starting to act like the attributes of that community you want to be associated with. So Paul knows the Philippians had this amazing heritage. So he looks at him and says, hey, pull it to a state, because he knew that would kind of ball something out of him. Like, hey, wait a second. Our ancestors fought bravely, heroically. They did something. They had courage. They had honor. They lived their life. And he says, step into that. Yeah, but then he flips the script on him and says, pull it to a state, not according to Philippi, pull it to a state according to Christ. Because he tells him later, your paluma, your citizenship is in heaven. That you had a different warrior fight for you. You had him exit heaven and enter the darkness to beat it back for you. You had one who cast sickness out, took shame away, took death away, that he stepped into your chaos and he who knew no sin became sin for you. I'll take it on. I'll take on the dark to fire it out of your life, to give you life. You have a king who fought for you, bought you and rescued you. That's your citizenship. It's in heaven. 
And now he says, live according to that. Live into that. Step into that. And you hear that and you go, dude, that's such a big statement. Live in a manner worthy of all that Jesus did for you. Oh, oh, okay. And I used to lead Bible studies where we teach us not ask guys, what does that mean? What does it mean to live a life worthy of Jesus? You just let people answer. And a lot of times I say, you know, I mean, you just, uh, you read your Bible and you pray and, you know, and, and you uh, serve places and, and, and all that's good stuff. None of that is what Paul focuses on. He says, I want you to live in a way that's worthy of what Jesus did for you when he purchased you and he fought for you and he died for you. Live in a way worthy of that. What does that do? Everything he focuses on after that's about unity. It's about unity. You wanna love him? Love us. You wanna honor him? Honor us. You wanna cherish him? Care for us. That's what you're supposed to do. How do you love him? You love us. And same with me. How do you love me? Like if you came up to me and said, hey Ben, I just think you're cool, man. I wanna be friends. Like I wanna hang out with you. I'd say, great. But if you're like, dude, I wanna hang out with you. I think you're so cool. But I gotta be honest with you. Your six-year-old daughter, can't stand her. I mean, you and I are good, but little Sparrow, blah, get her out of here. I don't like her. She gotta go. What do you expect me to say? Yeah, she does kind of suck or whatever. Like, no. <laughs> There's no separation between me and my kid. So how do you love me? You love my kid. How do you honor me? You honor the person that I cherish more than anything, even when they're being difficult, even when they're hard to love, right? And sometimes that happens. It's happening in this room right now. Some of you walked in here and you saw somebody's face that you're like, oh my gosh, when did you start coming here? How did you find us? Like, weren't you gonna move? Shouldn't you though? Like, there's some people we have trouble liking. And yet, how do we love him? We love his kids. We love his kids. I remember showing up at a church service once and there was this dude like on the second row and music's going and he's worshiping and he's just going for it. It was one of those churches like ours that just gets packed so you got to scoot people in so you don't get those buffer seats around you you normally like for your gear. And so everyone has to scooch in. And so he's worshiping and this lady comes in and she's a mom with kids and all her stuff and she's trying to get organized. She showed up late. You can tell she's in a stressful zone. And so she shows up and she gets into the aisle and she bumps into him. And I watched him go, And I was like, dude, do you think God gives a rip about the next thing that comes out of your mouth? Or do you think he cares a lot about her and how you treat her? You wanna love him? You love us. You wanna have true spirituality? So much of the world today, so spirituality is about you isolating all by yourself and just meditating, maybe playing some bells or some chants. Hey, you know what? I'm not against you meditating. But spirituality is not just about you alone individually. It always works itself out in an us. It becomes community. It becomes caring for us. How do churches die? No one starts a dead church. No one goes, well, I guess let's start a church. Churches start because a group of people believe that Jesus is capable of changing their neighborhood and they believe it enough to lay down their lives to do it and they leverage their lives into it and they begin to grow and they pull some resources to put up a building and call people in it and save people and bring them to life in Jesus and a powerful thing happens. But how do churches die? And churches are dying all over America. You know how a lot of them die? It's when you get to a certain critical mass, someone goes, you know, I like it better when that guy preaches than that guy. You know, they keep letting that girl serve. I don't know why they, you know what they do, man? If I, if I were king, I would. And people begin to cut us apart from the inside. And churches don't die because somebody outside attacks us. That's never how it works. We die from a million little cuts from the inside because of the way we talk to us. 
And so Paul's talking about the beauties of Jesus and he says, I just want one thing, live in a manner worthy of what he's done so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit. We need to be one. We need unity. Why? So we can stand. We need unity to stand. Why? Because the world is a difficult place. It's hard. It's fascinating. That word stand carries the idea of feet planted so as to offer resistance that there's a difficulty coming in the world. The world's a difficult place and I need to stand in one spirit. I need you around me so that I can stand when life gets hard. The way battles were fought back in the day is your shield was big enough, it would cover the guy next to you. The Spartans had an idea around that. My sword is for my enemy, but my shield is for my brother because it would cover this guy. And so you would see weaker armies. There's historical record of it that as they began to approach the battle line, they would lean in to get more coverage from this guy's shield and leave that guy exposed. You're on your own, bro. And so you would see battle lines of armies collapse before a single sword and shield clashed. Why? Because everyone's going for themselves and so the battle was never won. And yet the Spartans understood, I plant my feet and offer resistance. This sword is for my enemy, but the shield is for my brother. I'm gonna stand to protect you when you go out into a dangerous world. And we need each other to stand. And many of you, let's be honest, you've been in church for a long time. You've maybe known Jesus and know the songs, but you are combat ineffective in making a difference for Jesus because when you step out of this building, you go out alone. And in the secret places, in the dark places, discouragement is tearing you apart. Or some of you, lust is, is pulling out your chest. And the reality is we're losing you. We're losing your courage, your leadership, your creativity because sin is ripping you apart because when you step out of here, you step out alone. And in the secret places and in the quiet places, it's not God that's there. It's you wrestling with things that you can't overcome alone. And yet some of us hear this and you go, hey man, are you about to say like we should confess our deepest sins to the people here? I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, I got some problems. I can handle them. I can handle my own problems. David beat Goliath by himself. David beat Goliath by himself so I can beat my problems by himself. Yes, David did beat Goliath by himself, but keep reading. Yes, David killed Goliath, but keep reading through Samuel. And what happens? He goes out into a battle later and David becomes weary. And in his weariness, a relative of the giant comes to kill David, brought a new sword for the occasion and pins David down, is about to kill him. And it took Abishai to step in and save David's life. And so yes, for some of you, you've got struggles in your life that you can beat one night or two nights or maybe even a whole week. But when you're weary and you're tired, Weariness plus opportunity leads to failure. And for many of you, you've been in that cycle for a long time. And it's not just costing you, it's costing us because we lost you. We're losing you because you're not a part of us and you're not using the gifts God gave you to build up us. And so you need us. No one's an isolated hero. So some of you, the most Christian thing you'll do, the most Jesus honoring thing you'll do in life is not sing another song, but I hope you sing. It's not read another book, though I hope you read. It's that you will find godly, mature believers to stand with because we need each other to stand. You see it? We need each other. I remember for me, yeah. I remember for me in my 20s, right out of college, when I started in ministry, I, I had some things in my life I wasn't proud of, some sins that I wanted to get out. So I did what a lot of young Christian people do. I just tried to knuckle down all my discipline. Let me just become a real disciplined person. But discipline can't drive it all out. It can't. And so I hit this moment where I'm like, I got to make a decision. What do I want to do? Do I suddenly pursue a spiritual exterior while really wrestle with some things in the dark? 
Or do I really wanna be a whole person? And I began to wrestle with that. What do I wanna do? And I started to pray to God, God, how do I get these things out of my life? And I felt like he kept leading me to James 5, 16. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And I was like, wait, confess to one another? I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna confess to somebody. I'll deal with it on my own. But after repeated cycles of failure, I realized I'm at a crossroads here. I'm either gonna have practical holiness or perceived holiness. You know what I'm talking about? Perceived holiness. We show up in church and people are like, how you doing? God is good all the time. He's so good. Oh, good God. But in, when you go home, darkness is ripping you apart. I'm like, I could be that guy, but I don't want to be that guy. I want integrity. The word integrity is built off the word integer. It means one. I want to be one man, one man out front and one man in the back, one man on stage, one man backstage. I want to be that kind of person. And I realized I can't do that by myself. I can't. And so finally, I was like, okay, God, then I, I want confession that brings healing. So how do I want to do it? And I felt like the Lord was like, there's a brother you know wants God as much as you do. And I was like, I can't confess to him. No, because I just hired him. And I was like, Jesus, I need, I need to be awesomer than him. I can't confess to him my flaws. It's going to mess up the awesomeness dynamic. Like, like we can't, somebody else. But finally, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I just want to be free. So I remember calling him in and I'm like, man, can I talk to you? And I shared with him all of what I called my drinking nail polish moments. And I called him that because uh, I remember reading an article about a lady that was an alcoholic. And so she got all the hard liquor out of her house, but she would uh, take her nail polish and just sip it in the bathroom. She was that desperate, that broken. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to be that desperate and that broken. And all of us have those things that are really embarrassing that we do that we're like, no one will know this about me, right? I confessed all those to him, okay? And then I felt very vulnerable. And I remember sitting there going, okay. <laughs> and I remember he said, here's mine. And they were different. And after he shared him, I remember when he finished, I went, you're sick, man. Like, you've got problems. <laughs> now, you know what we did? We both looked at each other like, okay, that was new. Like, what now? And what we did was we stepped out from behind the table and we knelt down and began to pray for each other. And you know what happened was we never stopped, man. We would pray for each other so much, we quit saying hi and bye on the phone. We would call each other and just be like, hey man, I'm walking into this meeting and I want you to know I'm a little stressed about it, so I'm kind of feeling insecure and I know when I'm insecure, I'm gonna say something weird to try to make people feel I'm important and I don't really wanna do that because I know that's super strange. Beep, right? And just hang up. <laughs> and we would do that kind of stuff all the time. We figured out in ministry that, man, ministry is such an emotional and spiritual pour out that Sunday nights was a very vulnerable time for us. And so we would end up watching TV late at night, compromising and things we'd watch and feel terrible in the morning. I didn't want to do that. So we decided, you know what? Sunday nights, we're not going to have our confession group where we unpack all the darkest things in us. We're just going to go do something fun because I'm not attracted to him, right? And so we're like, all right, so you and I will go bowl and like, look, integrity intact. And we'll just kind of run out the clock on the devil. And that's what we did. And there were other times where he would text me and said, hey, I'm going without food today. I'm gonna fast for no other reason than to pray for you, that Christ would be formed in you. You ever had a brother do that for you? Let me tell you something. I found victory in areas of my life I didn't think was possible when I was early in my 20s. I found some healing to parts of me I thought would always be broke. And some of you, you're beginning to compromise some brokenness and you're beginning to believe the lie that it's essentially you. It's not. 
God changes things. God is powerful, but one of the greatest gifts he's given us is us, is us. And let me tell you something. Confess your sin to him for forgiveness, and you got it. You want healing? You confess it to us for that. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed, that you might be healed. I read a report just this last week, the Relationships in America survey conducted in 2014, 15,000 Americans between the ages of 18 to 60. When the question was asked, when was the last time you intentionally looked at pornography? 43% of men and 9% of women said last week. Last week. When asked about the last given month, it was 53% of men. And I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm just saying I talk all the time to young men and increasingly our ministry, we talk to young women that what they're encountering online is putting so much shame into their world and that shame isolates them. And so I'm finding I have to bring it up. Hey man, you're struggling with pornography? And they're like, how do you know? And I'm like, I've read the stats. It's not hard to figure out because I don't see you make eye contact the way you used to. There's all kinds of different ways to tell. But we want you back. I'm not here to shame you. I'm trying to help you. And let me tell you something, it's a powerful thing when you confess some of the saddest broken things about you and someone says to you, I love you and wanna help you. Let me tell you something, empathy dissolves shame. And some of us, the most powerful thing you're gonna experience in 2019 is finding the right people, not the wrong ones, the right people that are mature and godly, chasing Jesus along with you, that you say, hey, there's an area I struggle here. All of us struggle, and I need a brother to stand with me. I need a sister to lock shields and cover me when the darkness comes. We need unity so we can stand. Do you see it? So we can stand. But the Christian life is not just about sin management. It's not just about, so let's kind of lock shields and stand so we can just keep all the dirty, dirty world off us, right? We also have a mission, So he says that we stand in one spirit, that we strive together side by side. We're trying to accomplish something great. We have a message the world needs. There are hurting people who need hope. We need to get out there. We need to block this and run after that. And so he says, strive together. And I love it. He says, soon athluntes. It's where we get the word athlete. And soon means together. We strive together like this, not like this. But we do this. You know what we're like sometimes? I remember I had a buddy that we went jogging together and we're like, hey man, let's go running. And we were like young guys and we're like, hey man, let's just jog together. Let's take it like half speed. And so we both start jogging. But then he gets like a little bit ahead of me and this voice in my head's like, ah, nah, son. Right? I'm just gonna get a little bit ahead of him and then he's a little bit ahead and then I'm a little bit ahead. And then by the end of it, we're both in a dead sprint. Like, ah, ah. And when we're done, we're like, ah. Like our ribs are on fire. Like, ah, why, why did we do this, right? It's just because the insecure, so I got to try to get one over on you. And we're like that. Just little insecure competitiveness against us. It rips each other apart. And it doesn't help us advance in what God built us to do, right? I mean, you know what we're like? I I had a buddy once that um, worked for like a video game company. And he was like, hey, man, let me, let me show you this demo of this game. You got to check this out. So we came over and he's like, hey, this game is like, we're both soldiers and we're trying to rescue these hostages. And so this is like a split screen game. I'm a guy, he's a guy. We're like, all right, man, we're going to sneak into that compound and rescue him. So my little guy, I'm like, all right, let's go. My little guy runs up, ducks down. And I'm like, let's go. And then all of a sudden it's sky, grass. And then my remote doesn't work. I was like, hey man, I think, I think the game's broken. And then my buddy went, no, I just, I think I shot you in the back of the head. And I was like, well, we're never gonna, we're never gonna get there if you keep doing that. Like we can't, 
accomplish the mission if we keep shooting each other. We can't accomplish the mission if we keep shooting at each other. You wanna know one of the coolest things for me today? Just one of the coolest, and I'm gonna try not to get emotional about it. One of the coolest things about today is when this group up here was leading worship, they're friends of mine, I love them, and it was so fun to watch them lead together, but you know the coolest thing to watch was Christian Stanfield videoing them and cheering from over there. Christian Stanfield, who's a great worship leader, is having as much fun on row two as if he was up here, and he's watching them do what he does, but rather than going like, I would've seen that better, I could've hit that note, I would've crushed that, I would've said this, I would do that. Rather than do all that, he's over there feeling them like, yeah, yeah, and I'm listening to Christian behind me, and I'm trying to sing, but I'm getting emotional, like, God, this guy, who doesn't want a guy like that? Who doesn't want a church like that? That says it's not a zero sum game, man. We can all win. So let's not take shots at each other. Let's stand together so we can be the best version of ourselves and let's strive together because the world needs that. Because the world needs that. Stand together, strive together. You see it? I needed Trey. I remember when I showed up in college, I'm an introvert, naturally introverted person. I know what to say up here. You give me one-on-one, I'm like, is everything else okay? Like sometimes I get confused. And so I remember when I showed up at college, they were like, hey man, you need a Christian friend. Here's a guy. And I'm like, okay. So I called this guy and I thought we would do what a lot of Christian guys I had met at the time do. Go sit and have coffee and talk about your feelings or something. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll try that. So I remember calling this guy and I show up at his house and I walk in and he was like, hey man, I thought rather than drink coffee and talk about our feelings, we would just walk out onto campus and see if people want to get in a conversation about God. And as an introvert, I'm like, no, 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 I do not want to do that. And he's like, no, let's just see what's going to happen. I was like, I'll tell you what's going to happen. So we're going to walk out there and say, hey, do you want to talk about Jesus? And he's like, no. It's like, me neither. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry to bother you. Sorry. I was like, that's what's going to happen. Let's, let's just save each, everyone the awkwardness. And he's like, no, let's just pray about it. And I'm like, I'll pray, man. I'm like, God, you got to get me away from this guy. Like, I don't trust him. It's just, I feel unsafe. All right, and... So we walk out there on campus and I'm like, I don't like any of this. We walk up to this group of guys and he's like, hey guys, we decided to spend an hour just seeing if people wanted to talk about spiritual things. Y'all want to? And they went, yeah. And he was like, all right, uh, what do y'all believe? And they told us. And then they said, what do y'all believe? And he said, well, we believe Jesus is the son of God. That God's not built a ladder. You're trying to earn your way up to his approval. That God came down to us. Jesus lived the perfect life. We, we couldn't. And extended grace to us, kindness, that he wants to heal us. He, he wants to change us on the inside and that changes on the outside. All our hope in the world is in Jesus Christ. He starts talking about Jesus and all these guys are like, yeah, yeah. And they listen for the whole hour. And then after that, they're like, hey man, we got to bounce. We're meeting some people for dinner. But they're like, hey, do y'all want to come? Because everyone we're about to meet with, I tell you, does not know what you're telling us and they should hear this. And the whole time they're saying that, I'm like, is this a trick? Like, is this like some setup? <laughs> But we did all this and that whole night, we just had this very natural conversation about spiritual things with people. And I woke up the next day and was like, suddenly there's a whole universe of Bible verses that apply to me that didn't yesterday. And I wouldn't have been there without Trey. I just wouldn't have been there. I remember we had a girl in our ministry that wasn't a vocal person, wasn't necessarily socially courageous. She was kind of shy, but she had this idea, I wanna do a car wash. And I remember she came to a couple of us and she's trying to get people's attention. Hey, I want to do a car wash. I want to do a car wash. 
No one's listening. She finally grabs some of us. Hey, I want to do a car wash. And we're like, why do you want to do a car wash? Are we trying to like promote our organization? She's like, no, we're not going to promote an organization. I was like, are we raising money? She's like, no, we're not going to take any money. And I'm like, well, then why would we do a car wash? And she was like, because I want to wash people's car. And when they ask why we do it, we can tell them that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so we love Jesus. So we want to serve people. And we're like, yeah, all right. All right. That sounds weird, but she really believed it. And so some of us that were louder were like, hey, hey, everybody, we're doing a car wash. No, we don't need to make posters. We're not advertising. No, we're not taking any money. I don't know. We're just doing it on Saturday. And so she did all the work. She got Walmart's parking lot and she got hoses and buckets and she had this whole strategy worked out. When we showed up, she was like, some of you will be cleaning cars. Some of you will be grilling hot dogs because when people get out of said cars, we can feed them. Others of you will be relational rovers that talk around and talk to these people and take prayer requests while we wash cars. We're like, all right. So I was on rim duty. (laughs) And I'm over there just doing this. And I remember this guy shows up and he was like, hey man, what organization are you doing this for? I said, there's no organization. And he was like, well, then who do I write the check to? We're not taking a check. Well, who am I gonna give money to? We're not taking any of your money. Then why are you doing this? That's a great question. And so I fed him the line. I was like, because we love Jesus and he came not to be served, but to serve. And so we just thought we're gonna serve people today. And I remember when I said that to him, he said, no, no. And I was like, yes, what? What Like, I'm not even supposed to be in this moment. And then he sits down on the sidewalk next to me and he was like, man. He said, I was on my way to get drunk. This is Saturday morning. He said, I can't get a job. Nobody's helping me. He said, so I gave up, man. I was going to get drunk and I saw you guys and I thought, if I come home with a car that's clean, maybe my wife will be a little less mad. And then he started crying, put his head in his hands. He said, I just can't believe you're doing this. And I got to have arguably one of the most significant moments of my life as a young man, putting my arm around the sky and praying for him. And I wouldn't have been there if this girl hadn't had the courage to tell us I want to serve people. And some of you, man, some of you aren't good at this stage moment. You don't get this moment. My sister's like that. She can't do this moment. I remember the first time I saw her on stage speak to people, she was making weird noises in her throat. She was like, um, and we're all like, oh, no. Um, but then like, a year into college, she was my baby sister. But like a year into college, it was always like, oh, you're Ben's little sister, you're Ben's little sister. But like a year in, people would come up to me and be like, hey, are you Mandy's older brother? I'm like, yeah. And they'd be like, your, your sister? <laughs> she has. And so many people would just start crying, talking about her. I'm like, what is she doing to these people? And it was like active listening. She was just like listening to them and act- asking reflective questions and people are opening up and sharing their lives. I'm like, that doesn't happen to me. When I'm one-on-one, I'm like, so are you good? I think you should stop doing that. Like, I, I don't know. And so many of us, you're not good at this moment, but you're great at praying for people and we need you. You're not gonna speak up front, but you're great at writing notes. And how many of us, a note coming at the right time has kept us from, from despair? Some of you, the reason why you've entertained a word I've said up here is because someone smiled at you and said hi and you felt like they meant it when they walked in the door. Some of you, you got gifts and you're just not using them. You're just kind of rolling through life. And let me tell you something. The way you honor Jesus is by loving us. We stand together and we strive together and we need you. We need you to strive side by side with us because the world's a hard place. There will be opponents. They will oppose us. 
Whenever you start proclaiming the name of Jesus, there will be people who disagree with it and you will hit resistance. And Paul says that's a sign of their destruction. When you decide to start living your life according to Jesus and begin to change your life, you will have friends that criticize you. Oh, you're holy now? Oh, you're a Jesus person now? You're gonna hit resistance. And let me tell you something. This text says that's a sign of destruction for them. They're not just opposing you. They're opposing God. And that's not something to celebrate. That's something to fear for them and pray for them. That's not good, man. But it's a sign of salvation from God that I'm his, that he bought me, that I know I belong to him and I know he's changing me. Why? Because I want to run to him, even if it costs me, because he's gifted me. And I love that Paul uses the root word gift because he's gifted us belief in him. Greatest gift he's given us is the ability to open our eyes and see the beauty of Jesus, the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he's given us another gift to suffer for his name. That I say he fought to win me, so I fight to proclaim him. He fought to purchase me. I live to proclaim. He loved me first, and so I will love him back by loving his people that he purchased. I'll love us. And as we become a campfire of warmth, of love, and of light of truth, the world will draw towards our heat because the world is a cold place. But when they see us stand with each other and strive with each other, they will see a place they want to be. The gospel goes forth when we love us when we love us. So some of you go, well, Ben, I want that. How do I get it? I want a group of friends that'll run with me after Jesus. My buddies aren't like that. My crew's not like that. Well, let me tell you something. You stay focused and God will bring unity. He will. David did have to fight Goliath alone. But when he killed Goliath, the scriptures records the response of two different men. Saul, who hated him, because he had a jealous eye for David. And that jealousy made him attack David. And you're going to hit some of that if you choose to walk with Jesus. But then Jonathan saw him. And it says Jonathan loved him. Because Jonathan had done something as crazy as David like one chapter ago. Except it was a Philistine garrison attacking. And Jonathan's like, we need to stop them. They're attacking us. Nobody? All right, I'll do it myself. And he fought a garrison by himself. And now he watches David go out against Goliath by himself. And he goes, this guy wants to pursue the glory of God and good of his people as much as I do. And it says, when he watched David, he was like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And it says, when he found David, he just starts giving him stuff. He's like, here's my shield. Here's my sword. Here's my wallet. Here's my keys. He just starts giving him stuff. And then when David hit the darkest moment of his life in the cave, it said, Jonathan showed up and strengthened his hand in God. That's what we need. You want someone who's going to strengthen your hand in God? You make a decision today. I am walking with him even if I have to walk alone. And I promise you, you won't walk alone for very long. There's a whole tidal wave of us that he is rescuing and calling to himself. And you make the decision individually to run. That's your choice to make. But I promise you, you won't be an individual very long because spirituality is worked out in the context of community. You chase him and you'll look to your left and right and you'll see in us. And you'll have mentors you'll have friends, you'll have a family that'll stand with you, strive with you until the day we see his face. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.